Station 13 may cover topics that are not suitable for all listeners, such as death, body gore, and homicide, not to mention the paranormal. We also like to swear on occasion. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back to Station 13. Grab a glass of wine and put your kids to bed. This is DJ Void, signing back on. Before we begin today's episode, I owe you all a sincere apology. We missed our original deadline, and that is entirely on me as the producer of Station 13. Unfortunately, 2024 decided to come at me with a swinging hammer and knock me down from the get-go. Now, I won't get into too much detail, but please know we at Station 13 all wholeheartedly appreciate your patience and willingness to continue along this journey with us. We are striving to improve our scripting, our posting schedule, and our content. Unfortunately, I cannot promise that we will keep a strictly consistent post schedule without pause, but I can promise that I'm trying my hardest to do so. If you feel inclined to support us, send in your spooky stories, or join in our Discord shenanigans, please visit thestation13.com. Links will be in the video description. Now, on with the show. Hello everyone, I'm Void Spectre and welcome back to Station 13. It's so good to have you all here back with me today for another possibly concerning episode. As many of you may know, both Sam the Opossum of Alabama and the mostly wrong groundhog Phil have predicted warm weather coming our way and an early spring, and we know what that means. Actually, some of you might not. It's been a while since we've been graced with an early spring after a prolonged fall. Approximately 10 years, I'd say. Well, what kind of radio show host would I be if I didn't inform you of what's waiting for us in this coming season? You should prepare now for flooding and landslides in certain areas around the continental United States. Not to mention the storms that will be devastating our west coast. However, the most important thing that I must implore you all to prepare for is the impending influx of horrors and paranormal beings. It may surprise you, but ghosts actually seem to be the most prevalent during warmer winter months. Yes, you heard me, ghosts. The least scary but most annoying thing to go bump in the night around here. Of course, scolding ghosts away from your property isn't too difficult. My advice is some salt around the entryways and a good curse if you can catch one lingering about. Now, horrors, on the other hand, are a little tricky. With the flooding happening much earlier than normal, you may not have your basement prepared. And while you may assume you still have time, I'd still suggest entering your basement carefully until you are truly sure nothing lurks in the shadows. The best advice I can give you is to spray your basement down with lemon and thyme, as well as your normal fall preparations. 
Of course, if you come across a humanoid horror, please retreat immediately and call the USD PCA. And yes, that includes if it sounds like a dead relative. Remember, ghosts and horrors are completely different physiologically. One looks like your relative on low opacity, and one looks like a human covered in tar. With that said, to condemn or celebrate the coming of a warm winter, early spring, I have dug up some of the letters from my old show. One of them continues the story of our dear Rose. Let's start with that one, shall we? It's been a while since I've put my thoughts down on paper. I think writing about the creature that grabbed my ankle really put a damper on the whole thing. Violet is growing concerned, though, that I refuse to make any more friends, and that the ones I had weren't there to stay. People grow apart sometimes to no fault of their own. However, in this case, I believe the early spring is purely to blame. Violet warned me when she noticed the temperature climbing into the high 40s that an early spring was a bad omen. But I don't think I knew what that meant until I lost them. I'm a couple months removed from the situation, but it still has my brain in knots, so I was encouraged to write down all that happened. I always joked about writing a book, so why not use this as an excuse to test my talents? My mother would be proud of me. The early spring came unexpectedly. The week prior, we were buried under feet of snow, and by the next, it had all melted away. Almost in the blink of an eye. One moment, we were faced by an abrasive negative ten degrees, and the next, the sun was shining, and the thermometer outside read a concerning forty-eight. This was when Violet warned me about early spring and its bad omens. A warning I didn't fully grasp and tried to ignore. How could sunny skies and temperatures warm enough to shed our winter coats be a harbinger of ill intent? I'd come to regret that sentiment a few weeks later, around my birthday, in fact. I had invited the same group of friends from my prior writings out on a little pre-planned adventure. Violet had recently discovered an old underground labyrinth of caves on one of her hikes and had given us the all-clear to explore it once she made sure it was safe. I believe she just wanted to make my first birthday with her special, and I suppose the fact that it was a big one wasn't lost on her. Everyone seemed rather excited as we began our descent into the maze laid out before us, even Fawn, who was known as the skittish one. Of course... Excitement turned into frayed nerves when we had reached the bottom of the rickety old ladder. I don't think any of us necessarily thought ahead when it came to light sources, but luckily enough Violet had packed some for us in our excursion bag, along with snacks, water, and all the motherly necessities you'd assume. What struck me as odd, however, was that she had also packed six walkie-talkies a device she had recently taught me how to use in case of emergencies. 
complete with a note stating, just in case, I have one too. It was confusing, but I was always taught not to look a gift horse in the mouth, so I trusted her judgment and passed them out. Mark seemed excited as he'd never used one before, and his older sister Liz scoffed as she put it on her belt. Seeing them together always panged me with jealousy. I never liked my older brother, but I missed him more than ever when around those two. Fawn, on the other hand, had begun to tremble as the darkness set in, leading her twin Gregor to tie them together with a bit of rope. With that, we set out, marking our way with a bit of chalk as Liz led the charge. Two hours in, we started to hear noises. Not just the sounds of our shoes or the small rocks we kicked up, but scratching. Nails on glass echoing through the entire cave. We had just finished our snacks and were planning to head back, but this made us feel an unnerving sense of urgency. Fauna, who had calmed down throughout the trek, had begun to shake again her knees buckling beneath her as Gregor tried to convince her to stand. Whispers started shortly after, surrounding us in a cacophony of sound. Louder and louder as we tried and failed to urge Fauna to stand. But she couldn't. Gregor had to pick her up, and with that we began to run. This labyrinth Violet had found was supposed to be safe. She told me that WDPCA did a thorough sweep before she even informed me of it. We ran for what felt like hours, following our chalk marks as the sounds continued to surround us. When we were finally forced to take a break because Gregor couldn't keep up, we noticed something. Our chalk marks were everywhere. Our clear path home had been compromised. Acknowledging this, I flicked on the walkie and called to Violet, trying to remain calm as I awaited her reply. Liz had decided that at 17 she was probably in the best shape to carry Fauna, so the rope was switched over and we began to move again. Gregor was still noticeably slowed, but at least we were moving. Mark had pointed out a breeze coming from the north, and so we followed it, the best we could. It took Violet a while to return our cry for help. It seems the signal wasn't as strong as predicted. She told us to continue to follow the breeze, and if the noise got too overwhelming to try and hold still until it calmed again. Her advice was appreciated moments later when the noise became so overwhelming that Fauna let out an ear-shattering scream. We froze, some of us collapsing as we did so. By then our lungs were burning from our raw desire to be freed of the stale air. As the whispers and scraping reached its peak, echoing through the caverns we found ourselves in, 
Fauna began to squirm. Crying out in desperation and clawing herself free of Liz's arms. The memory of the next part is painful, but as a therapy, I must record it here. I owe it to them to remember. Moments had passed since Hana fell to the rock floor, moments that felt like centuries as we watched a long, spindly arm reach out from the shadows, its branch-like fingers clasping around her akin to the legs of a spider. In shock and horror, we witnessed this creature rip Fauna away from us, damaging Liz's spine as the rope tore at her back. Fortunately, Mark made a hasty judgment call and cut the rope, sparing Liz the same fate. And after that, we laid there. Gregor almost too silent for comfort as the noises around us faded into the depths. It took approximately an hour and a half for a rescue team to find us. Luckily, when Violent didn't hear from us within the quarter hour, she called someone. I remember the sound of Liz sobbing in pain as they put her on a stretcher, and watched as they led Gregor away in a near catatonic state. Mark walked out unscathed, but mentally scarred along with me leaving us at the entrance with nothing more than a harsh glare and a glob of spit aimed directly at Violet's shoes. I think I passed out then, as the stress finally left my body. That, or I have completely blocked the rest of that night out of my memory. The following day was when the question started. Asking what we had found and heard and how many were lost. When I explained what happened to Fauna, the interrogators from the WDPCA looked scared, truly, utterly terrified that they had willingly allowed teenagers into the viper's den. Of course, this creature was no viper. Apparently, they're called cave trees, and are dormant until the wet season near the end of summer. I suppose they had foolishly underestimated the melting snow that sat above the labyrinth. They informed me in the coming weeks that they recovered Fauna's body, and made sure to pay for her funeral costs, and the costs of treating Liz, probably in some attempt to placate Violet's anger in their stupidity. She also got a hefty sum to keep quiet along with the rest of the parents. But they didn't pay me. So I wonder how they'll respond if I send this out to the local papers. I guess we'll find out. Oh, Rose, you really did do right by everyone. I remember finding an old copy of the Wisconsin State Journal with an article on this event. Of course, it didn't take long to go national and the Wisconsin State Department of Paranormal Encrypted Activity was forced to go through an audit after it. 
a much lighter punishment than what they probably deserved, in all honesty. Alright, let's crash into our final early spring story, shall we? This one was pulled right from an old anonymous live journal post from the last warm spring. Hello everyone, long time no talk. I just got my internet back up after quite the awful storm. It's only February, but it seems with a heat wave coming in, we're looking at quite the weird weather shift. Anyway, I wanted to share an experience I had this past week that I'm trying to cope with. This isn't for the faint of heart, so cook away if you're sensitive to loss. Alright, let me preface by saying this all happened a week ago, right as the heat wave began. We had just suffered a massive snowstorm that dumped a good foot of snow in a matter of hours and blew out our power. Everyone at college was beyond excited for a snow day, but became crestfallen overnight as when we woke up, the sun was out on full display and had dwindled the snow down to nothing. What was even stranger about the matter is we fell asleep to temperatures bottoming in the negative tens and woke up to a beautiful 60 degrees. Of course, I don't know how many people would call it beautiful when the wild temperature shift brought about a thick fog that made it damn near impossible to see more than a foot in front of you. We had fallen into a state like that of Silent Hill in a manner of hours, and everyone was a bit skittish to even leave their dorms. I think more than half of the college called in that day, including a good number of teachers who wouldn't dream of driving in those conditions. The teachers that did stay, or more accurately got stuck here overnight, sent out a text telling their respective students to stay home. Seems we had gotten our snow day after all. My roommate and I were rather excited, but we also weren't thrilled to be stuck inside the dorms all day. So, with a little preparation, we headed out. It honestly didn't seem too terrible outside, and while the fog was thick, we were still able to find the grounds where the school had set out benches and frisbee golf nets. It was eerily quiet, outside, without the sounds from the nearby highway, so we decided to blast some music from my phone. This attracted more bored students, and within the hour we were having a mini rave in the fog with some glow sticks, generously donated from our dorm's emergency kits. I don't remember exactly how long we stayed out there, dancing and bumping into each other, but by the time my phone died and the music stopped, the park lights had flickered on and the brightness from the sun had diminished. Of course, this is just an assumption, as by then the fog had completely blinded us to anything but ourselves. Of course, we could hear the goodbyes from around us as the other students headed back in, but we were never really quite sure who was who. I had actually only been able to find my roommate because of her bracelet she wore every day, akin to how a bat uses echolocation. 
As people filtered out, we were once again left by ourselves with nothing but the deafening noises of the lamps buzzing around us to keep us company. So we too decided to head out. I had a bit of a struggle finding where I had set my phone, but once I did, we locked arms and headed in the guesstimated direction of our dormitory. As we made our way, we started to hear footsteps trailing behind us, heavier and distinctly not our own. Calling out to the follower and making them aware we felt their presence met with silence. And as we started to walk again, the footfalls became faster. Now, before this point in my life, I had been rather sheltered, shall we say. My parents weren't outdoorsy, and I always made it a point to be inside well before the sunset. I had been told stories, of course, of the things that prowl after the sun goes down. And while I believed them, I still never assumed I'd experienced something quite like this. Faster and faster the footfalls came, and before we knew it, we were running. Hands now grasped tightly together like a lifeline. And before we knew it, we had slammed directly into the front door of our dorm. It gets blurry from here, but I remember coming to moments later as the rancid breath of our stalker filled my nose. It sounded dog-like in its panting, but the overwhelming presence of it felt like so much more. I couldn't see it through the fog, but as I reached for my roommate, something slammed down on my wrist. I couldn't see it, but it could see me. It took a few minutes before I heard any signs of life from my friend. Her breathing shallow as she began to softly sob from the pain of ramming into the doors. This seemed to take the attention off of me, as my response to fear is to freeze like a deer in headlights, which is probably rather boring for a predator, which this creature clearly was. I felt the weight on my wrist vanish, and without much thought, I began to frantically reach for my friend once more. This wasn't met by anything this time, but her frantic screams shattered my ears as a splash of blood landed on my face. Again, I froze. A response I'm not proud of. I could hear her screams echo in my bones as they got quieter. She was gone. And with her departure and the newfound silence, my body crumpled. I woke up the next morning in my dorm. I was tucked in bed with a warm cup of tea on my end table, and the RA was sitting on the empty bed across from me. Apparently, I was found passed out on a bench a couple feet from the entrance. I tried asking about my roommate and was met with a quite puzzling response. Who? This is what shattered me the most. The person I had spent months with was reduced down to a memory shared only by myself. I tried pressing and asking more questions, but I was met with similar answers. You've never had a roommate. 
No one by that name has ever gone to this school. I was starting to believe him. Before I went to take a shower later that morning and saw the glaring proof of her existence, which was admittedly an oversight by whoever wished me not to remember. Her writing sat there on our shared bathroom mirror. Formulas for her chemistry class that she could never quite remember. I'm sharing this here anonymously to ask a question. Who have they tried to make you forget? As you've probably put together by now, wiping memory and traces of those lost to unknown threats is the WDPCA's MO. Of course, sometimes the minds they attempt to tamper with are more resilient than their chemistry can handle, leading to stories like this. Now, I don't have time today to go into the two creatures that Rose and this anonymous poster ran into, but worry not, as I will pull up their files for the next show, courtesy of Shelley, of course. For now, let's head to the news and weather, and I'll see you on the other side. Thank you everyone for joining us today on Station 13. Today we are highlighting Lyric Dimmig of Lapcat Creations and Rain of Paracosm Entertainment. Lyric provided Station 13 with its wonderful podcast cover art, the opening tune, and their voice as Garth Strongwater. If you like their work or would like to view other pieces they have for sale, including some very cute knit items, check out their website, lapcatcreations.square.site. That's L-A-P hyphen C-A-T hyphen C-R-E-A-T-I-O-N-S dot square dot site. Rain lends their voice to our wonderful weathercaster, Misk, and you can find their voice elsewhere on their podcast, Onward and Onward, and Paracosm Entertainment on Twitch and YouTube. Would you like your horror story to be featured on Station 13? Or maybe your own favorite local cryptid? And what about your newest music? Maybe you even wish to support what we endeavor to do here and help our staff feed their fluffy co-hosts. Well, head over to thestation13.com. That's T-H-E-S-T-A-T-I-O-N 13.com for the link to our Patreon and submission information. We'll see you there! Hello everyone, it is I, Garth Strongwater, back again with the news. Today we have some quite concerning intel regarding a compound found in Disco, Wisconsin a few months ago. While I'd love to give you the rundown on the situation, I will have to refer to Void on this one, as I know this is quite personal to her. Instead, I have the pleasure of bringing you much happier news. Professor Bites, the mayor of Whitewater, Wisconsin, has officially decided to run for governor. While I express similar concerns as Void regarding Professor Bites' ripe age, I do think he'd be a wonderful breath of fresh air for the state. Speaking of governors, it seems that the reigning governor of Alaska, Mishka Towns, has made some interesting new changes in the past few weeks. Rumors have begun to spread that a law is being worked on that provides all Native Alaskans Canadian citizenship. Now note, by Native Alaskans, I am referring to those with a hefty, traceable lineage, not just those born in the state. While all of us are quite confused on how this would actually work, I am rather amused to watch it play out. I'm sure those living on the border would be rather pleased to not have to deal with hectic country-to-country -country traveling when visiting family just across the way. 
In other news, George Henry released a statement today in partnership with the USDPCA in regards to certain creatures being illegally imported into the country. To paraphrase, the reigning sovereign, along with the United States Department of Paranormal and Cryptid Activity, have offered a reward of $10,000 to anyone who dispatches a giant rose with proof. It seems that while we had assumed the import of these dangerous plants had come to a halt, it was only temporary. Honestly, I'll never understand why people think it's a good idea to tend to a plant that has the ability to become so dangerous. <sighs> Alright, that's all I have today. Let's head on over to the weather. Hey everyone, Misk back with your weather. It seems that things are starting to heat up again across the country, though I would caution that while it may seem like winter is over, don't stow away your shovels and car scrapers just yet. Weather can turn on a dime and wow, flowers might be blooming in your backyard right now. It won't be long before some crisp cold air sweeps in to wither them away all over again. However, for the time being, we are looking at a relatively calm two weeks ahead. This week, you can look forward to some highs of 73 on the west coast and lows of 30 to 25 in the northeast. For those of you in Tornado Alley, do be on the lookout for some speedy funnels of air potentially coming your way. Of course, as always, I shall remind everyone to collect emergency supplies now and store them in your safe rooms, whether that be a closet, bathroom, or basement. And if you want to be particularly well-prepped like me, you'll have multiple safe rooms with multiple supply stashes in your house. If you do elect instead to sit on your porch and watch the tornadoes, I don't understand the appeal, but I can't stop you. Though, please keep in mind that you should not yell at the tornadoes. It won't make it go away, and if you are truly unlucky, it will instead head for you. Anyway, back to you, Void, and stay safe out there, folks. Thank you, Garth. Thank you, Misk. It is lovely to always have you two around to inform us on the happenings. Truly, where would I be without you two? Certainly not here again, that's for sure. Now, as Garth mentioned, they found the compound where my father raised his cult, and they finally released a statement on it. I figured you guys are in it with me now, so why don't I share those details here with you? Let's see what the local papers had to say about dear old dad. On January 1st, a discovery was made nestled away near Disco, Wisconsin. A couple out on a New Year's hike had stumbled upon a campground snuggled into the woods. They reported seeing bodies littering the ground and made it a point to call 911 as soon as they were able. Today, we are able to provide more clarity on this situation. It seems this compound was home to a family known as the Celestial Kingdom, run by none other than once-renowned history professor Ethan Spector. The bodies that were found on location have been identified, and among them were none other than Ethan himself. The surviving members, while compliant with officers, claim that the bodies were not dead, but merely ascended. And when the officers tried to bring them in for questioning, many decided to follow Ethan's lead. The few who remain are currently being held at the local jailhouse as the police continue to investigate the compound. So far, aside from the people left behind, the police have found several tents labeled for Ethan's daughter, who shall remain unnamed, along with several burn pits filled with human remains. They are currently unsure if these are elders of the family that died of natural causes, 
or victims of Spectre's delusions. Among the remains were several half-burnt letters addressed to Spectre's daughter from varying members, asking for her to come home. As far as we are aware, Ethan Spectre lost his daughter in a custody battle decades ago and never quite believed it, petitioning the court several times for her return to him. But with sound judgment in mind, he was never granted custody due to his mental decline following his divorce. We are unsure what sent Spectre into such a tailspin, but that is a mystery not left for us to solve. For now, officers are simply doing what they can to reunite bodies with their families outside of this cult, for lack of better wording. We will share more details with the public as they become available. I suppose my father's mental decline was no secret to anyone but myself. He was a hard-working, stable man when he married my mother, but even she is unaware as to how he ended up this way. But as they said, this is not our mystery to solve. It's the coroner's. For now, let's head over to Autumn with this week's Cryptid Watch. Hi everyone, Autumn here, and welcome back to Cryptid Watch. Today I was informed that a rogue group of man-eating horses are running rampant through Utah. I didn't know horses ate meat, much less humans, but I suppose you learn something new every day. For now, authorities are telling the citizens of Utah to stay inside as much as possible, and to keep a good eye on their herds to make sure none of these horses infiltrate them. The defining features of these rampaging beasts consists of black manes, blood-spattered coats, and an unusually wide mouth. Fair warning, the blood spatters may turn brown when dried, so these horses might just look freckled. The USDPCA has yet to make any announcements related to this matter, so we are unsure if these are cryptids or just a bad roll of the genetic dice. On the other end of the world, Russia seems to be in tough water, as a creature known as Domashnyai Zhivotny Diavola, or Devil's Pet, has been released from its icy prison due to global warming. This creature was described in ancient texts as far back as 300 BCE, claiming it had horns atop its head fitted like a crown, and a stature that dwarfed any known animal or man. Unfortunately, it seems these texts left out several other things about this creature, such as its penchant for spitting out acid that can peel skin from bone, and its raw desire to consume metal. I haven't been able to receive all the updates on this nasty thing, but here's to hoping we can find a way to deal with it swiftly. Unfortunately, that's all the information I have for you today, folks. Back to you, Void. Well, that's a lot of information to take in, my dear Autumn. But thank you for the rather concerning updates. I hope both of these situations can be handled painlessly. With that said and done, let's keep some promises. Last week I said I'd do some reports on the creatures associated with the holidays, and I plan to keep that promise. This week I am going to share with you my personal favorite, the Yule Cat. The Yule Cat, otherwise known as the Christmas Cat, is an overwhelmingly large and vicious cat-like being said to hail from Iceland. 
It is claimed that it likes to lurk among the shadows, hiding behind its stark black coat to prey on those that do not receive new clothing for Christmas Eve. Of course, other accounts state that it simply eats the food of those that receive no new clothing. This majestic beast is claimed to be the pet of Ogress Gria and her sons, the Yule Lads. And may I say, the jealousy I have for that is immense. The Yule Cat was first noted in a collection of folklore by Jean Arneson, apologies for pronunciation, published in 1862. It was described as a formidable beast that would eat those without new clothing or their Christmas bit, an extra portion of food given to farm residents. Of course, Jean gave no source for either of his stories. Branching from that, two theories have come about to explain the Yule Cat, one stating that it stemmed from a singular phrase in Jean's footnotes, to dress a cat, while another claims the Yule Cat came about due to various entities from other European traditions that accompanied St. Nicholas. Noting that sources for folklore and history were typically scarce, so lack thereof did not carry much significance. Of course, the Yule Cat would remain to be a lesser-known creature until a poet, whose name I dare not butcher with my lack of language skills, released a book titled Jolin Coma, translated to English as Christmas is Coming, featuring the beast. This is where the connection to Gria and her sons came in, as being featured alongside the Yule Cat led to a game of telephone that turned the giant beast into their pet, even leading to some stories where the youngest son is able to ride and control the imposing creature. In more modern times, the Yule Cat was brought back to life in 2008 in an online English newspaper article leading to its widespread popularity and a statue of the beast being placed in Reykjavik for the Christmas of 2018. Now, I don't know about the lot of you, but I wouldn't mind running into a giant cat on a cold winter night, even if it did eat me. Alright folks, unfortunately my time for the day is up and I must bid my farewell and make the nerve-addling trek back home. I hope you all have a wonderful night. By the way, it's 10pm. Do you know where your children are? DJ Void, signing off. Thank you everyone for joining us again on Station 13. We appreciate the returning and new listeners alike. Now, quickly before I leave you all, I would like to give a special thanks to our staff. That includes Lyric, whom you can find under Lapcat Creations on most platforms, Rain, who can be found on the podcast Onward and Onward, and Rook, who voices Autumn, who is as ambiguous as their creation. Special thanks goes out to those on our Discord and Kate Gardner for reading our commercials. You can find her work at kgardnerbooks.com. If you'd like to join our Discord or find our various other social medias, please peruse the link tree in the show notes at your leisure. If you find yourself enjoying Station 13, I do recommend you try the podcast that helped inspire it all, Dangerous Times at Chillhaven High.
They are currently on hiatus, and now would be the perfect time to binge their tales of adventure. Anywho, that's all I have for you today, folks. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I'll see you all next time on Station 13.